You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right, good morning. Didn't expect to hear that song this morning, did you? It gets you all fired up for our, for our group. I uh, do want to thank you for joining us uh, for worship this morning. Um, I know we are a little, little skeleton crew and we had some weird parking issues, but you've all made it. We're trusting that God's going to do some good things um, among us as well. Um, before we jump into the sermon, though, I will introduce myself because there are a few new people here. My name is Justin. I serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown. I uh, met a few of you new people already. would love to meet, meet you again, too, afterward. Come, talk, come say hello. And the second thing I wanted to do was make a few like, family announcements before we jump into the sermon and start this new series on habits. Uh, first is I want to welcome Emmy's family. So we've got a family all the way from Brazil, right? You guys? They get the, the furthest traveled Christmas, so glad, glad to see you guys. Um, and then what I'm really excited to, to share is that uh, some of you guys know Stephanie and Andrew. Stephanie has uh, finished her last uh, chemo treatment, got to ring the bell just a few days ago. So really been praying for you guys a lot, and so we'll continue to do so. It's exciting. And the last thing I wanted to remind you of is that our, our students, many of them, about a dozen or so, will have their uh, winter retreat that starts on Thursday. And so I want to remind us just to be faithful and praying for them because it's going to be a great time for our college group and the, the students there to get time together, seek God, and uh, build their friendships over the next few days. So remember, they'll be doing that Thursday through Saturday. So let's keep them in prayer as well. So we are going to jump into a new uh, sermon series. You see we've got the habits here. And you, you put this in context, one of the things that you know if you've been around Midtown this year is that we've set like a year-long goal. This is one of the things that we do every year. The elders and the staff spend a good bit of the summer actually collecting feedback from our church and seeking God and praying about what is like a direction, something that God would give us to do like for this next year. So we always come up with like a year-long goal. And this year, our year-long goal was that we would develop spiritually healthy habits. And then we challenged everyone, and we've got a little book. You should grab one back in the back that gives you a list of 12 different habits that you might adopt or take on sometime this year. And so various times throughout the year, we want to kind of touch back up on it and keep, keep this in front of us because this is something we really feel confident that God's led us to do together as a church and making this our year-long goal. So what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to talk about three specific disciplines or three, three specific habits that we think are helpful. And if you saw like the little metaphor, I don't know if you got that little metaphor, but you got the dominoes if you did watch the video at the start. The idea behind this is that there's little things that we can do, little dominoes that stack upon each other, but the little disciplines practiced over and over again actually can help knock down that giant big domino in your life, right? And so what we're going to do specifically with these three uh, uh, sermons in this series is talk about a specific discipline and how it can be used by God to actually overcome an obstacle in your life. And so today we're actually going to talk about scripture memory as a healthy habit. And specifically, you could probably list a dozen things that, that this could help you overcome in your life, but specifically today we're going to talk about the obstacle of temptation and the obstacle of doubt, because scripture memory can help us a lot, and little bit by little bit can actually topple over our doubts and can help us overcome temptations. So that's where we're going today. I mean, I just ask, though, while you're thinking about it, maybe you're in the, in the New Year's spirit and you're kind of making some resolutions. Um, would you be so honest just to think in your own heart right now, is there some sort of temptation in your life that you feel like is kind of getting the best of you? Like some sort of besetting sin or temptation or thing that you continually struggle with? Uh, it could be maybe something in the realm of, of lust or some sexual temptation. It could be like a relationship issue where you, you're struggling with bitterness and unforgiveness. It could be an emotional issue, like 
anger or impatience. Anything like that in your life that you feel like is besetting and you think as you think of this next year, you're thinking, man, I would really love to see that obstacle, that big domino fall down. Well, I'm going to tell you that memorizing scripture is one of the best ways to overcome whatever that temptation, whatever that obstacle is in your life. And I'll ask a second question regarding doubt, like, do you ever wrestle with doubt? Like, do you have things that you're questioning about God? Do you have doubts in your life? Do you get more you don't know really if God is present and if he's actually hearing your prayers? Or do you ever struggle with any doubt in regard to thinking that God's your provider, but being afraid that he's actually not going to meet your needs? Or do you struggle with doubt regarding God's power and believing that he can really do something big in your life? Or the doubt that God is in control and so you're captivated by fear? We all struggle with doubts. And I'm going to tell you that one of the best things that you can do to help you with your doubts is to memorize scripture. And so those are the two obstacles that we're going to talk about today. Before we do, I'll give you one little concession statement. And I don't want you to hear us say this during any of these three uh, sermon series in this series. Is we're not talking about like a quick fix. We're not saying, oh, just memorize this and all your problems are going to be solved. <laughs> okay? We recognize that your temptations and your doubts are way more complex than just a simple memorize a verse and you got it. But I'm going to say that that scripture memory is one of the healthiest things that we could do to overcome the obstacle of temptation, the obstacle of our doubts. So let me pray for us, and we'll look at how scripture, what scripture says about that. God, we pray that uh, this next three weeks, really, as we dive back into these specific uh, habits, that you would speak to us. And maybe, uh, like me, I've fallen off of some of the ones that I committed to in September, and so I want I want to get back and be reminded and, and move forward with my brothers and sisters here at this church and, and developing these habits. So use uh, this series to speak to us and show us what things we can adopt in this new year and use them, more importantly, to overcome these obstacles in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start in uh, Psalm 119, a very uh, familiar verse to, to many of you, I'm sure. Psalm 119 is a psalm that is really talks all about the Word of God. It's like the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about the Word. But in chapter nine, or verse 9 through 11, you'll read this. How can a young person stay on the path to purity? By living according to your Word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You ask a great question here at the start, right? How can a young person, how can a young man, young woman keep themselves on a path to purity. He says the way that we do that is by we live according to God's word. And you see the earnestness in his prayer right here too. He's saying that he wants to follow God. He wants to seek you with all my heart. And he's praying that he would not stray. But he knows what will keep him from straying is this habit of actually hiding God's word in your heart so that he would not be sinning against God. There's an earnestness to his prayer and a desire to not stray. And the key is and memorizing Scripture and what that can do for him. Now, why is, why is Scripture memory so important? Why does it help really with this battle, particularly of temptation in our lives? And I really believe it's because ultimately the root of all of our temptation or sin is unbelief. Like, that's ultimately what it is. You go all the way back to the very first temptation. Temptation's been the same ever since when the enemy comes to Adam and Eve and he says, did, did God really say that you shouldn't do that? Questioning God's word says, oh, no, you surely will not die. He's lying to them. He's deceiving them, and it's their unbelief that causes them ultimately to eat of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat of. And it's been the same ever since. The way that the enemy works in temptation is always ultimately to get us to believe something that's not true. 
And that's why Scripture memory actually helps us combat lies with the things that we're holding on to as truths. That's the way that Scripture helps us and fight against the tactics of the enemies to get us to believe things that aren't true about God, aren't true about ourselves, aren't true about what He says is best for us. Jesus, even in His humanity, being both fully God but fully human, He faced all the temptations and trials that we face. In fact, we get a real clear glimpse of it in Matthew chapter 4, where we see that just before Jesus started his earthly ministry, he's actually led by the Spirit, it says, out to the desert to fast and to pray for 40 days. And during that time of fasting, he tells his disciples later the story of the temptations that came his way. In Matthew chapter 4, this is the first thing. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So here with his very first temptation, meeting Jesus in his weakest place during fasting and telling him to turn something into bread, Jesus actually rehearses or he recites a scripture about scripture, that man does not live by bread alone. This isn't what I need. What I really need is God's word. And so he fights back the enemy's lies and his temptations by quoting from Deuteronomy. Again, the second temptation comes and says that the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up their, hand, they will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, the enemy's crafty because what he's actually doing, that quote that he quoted there, he's actually quoting from Psalm 91. So the enemy's actually using scripture to try to twist it, but Jesus, because he had the word in his heart, he was able to actually use scripture to interpret scripture and respond back again, quoting from Deuteronomy, combating the lies of the enemy, the tricks of the enemy, by having God's word in his heart. And finally, in the third temptation, it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all the splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. This time the tempter, tempter comes to him and actually offers him something that he really can't offer. He can't offer him these kingdoms, but he tempts him and saying, isn't this what you really want? But how does Jesus fight it back? He fights back again by quoting scripture. It's funny, he quotes all three from Deuteronomy. Like I have a hard time spelling Deuteronomy. And here Jesus has Deuteronomy in his heart that he can fight back all the temptation word for word by quoting from God's word. I'll just ask, if Jesus did this, and this is the way that he fought against temptation, shouldn't we do the same? We should do the same. Paul, when he's writing about the idea of temptation, he recognizes that the, the bulk of temptation, because it springs from unbelief, is really a battle for our minds that really our minds are where the battle is raging and because we're going to believe or we're not going to believe. And we've got to have God's word in our heart to be able to fight all the things that aren't true of God. Paul would write it this way. He would say, really, our minds are actually doing one of two things in Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, our minds are either doing conforming or transforming. We're either going to be shaped by the lies of the enemy and the ways of the world, or we can combat it and begin to transform our minds by renewing our mind 
on God's word, and that gives us the ability then to know what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will, and fight against the schemes of the enemy. It's a battle for our minds when we're being tempted, and scripture memory is one of the best ways that we can fight it. So say, for instance, your temptation that you're facing is maybe anxiety or worry, and you think in this next coming year, like, I, I really want to grow and trusting God and getting beyond these fears and these worries and anxieties. Like, maybe it would be good to memorize 1 Peter 5, 7, that cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Like, what if you had that in your heart and you just knew, like, I can cast all my anxieties on God. I know that he cares for me. What if with those worries and anxieties, you memorize Matthew 6, 33 and 34, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And in a moment of worry, you could recite those and, and fight back the anxieties and the ways that the enemy would try to get you to fear. Or maybe your temptation is lust. In the midst of temptation, what if you had 2 Timothy 2, 22 memorized? You, you were able to say, flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, along with those who call on the Lord out of pure hearts, that you would know that in the midst of your temptation with lust, that you need to pursue others that are following God and pursue righteousness and call on your brothers and sisters. Or maybe if your struggle is with lust, you can memorize uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says, no temptation has seized you except what's common to man. Except what's common to man, but God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but he'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So you can know in the midst of that temptation, this is common. Everyone's struggling with this. This is a common. I'm not unique in this. And God will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. He will provide a way out. What if you could cling to that in the midst of your temptation? Or maybe you're struggling with your identity and you're, you're falling prey to lies that the enemy wants to tell you, things that aren't true about who you are and how God sees you. And you could memorize 2 Corinthians 5.17 that that if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Or if you're wrestling with your identity and, and not really believing that God loves you, to, to go to Romans 8, 15, and 16 and, and know that I'm no longer a slave to fear. The spirit that he's given us is not a slave, make me a slave again to fear, but is a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Like that's how you fight when the enemy's lying to you about your identity. Or what if you're in a stage like me right now, to be real honest, I'm struggling with some discouragement in some areas, and so some of the things I need to go to is one of my favorite verses. I won't tell you the reference because it is my ATM code on my, on my debit card, so you can't steal it from me. But it says, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. I'd like to know that when I'm struggling with discouragement, that I can know, no, my labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm, let nothing move me. Or I go to Galatians 6, 9, and I say, uh, never grow weary. Let's not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest if you don't get up, give up. Like, those are the things that I have to cling to right now in my life. Those are some of the ones that I'm clinging to. Because when the enemy lies and, a, and the battle for our mind is raging, having Scripture on hand is the way that we fight the spiritual battle. Well, it doesn't just help with temptation, but it also helps with our doubts, the second obstacle that I'll talk about today. So remember the first question that Adam and Eve got from, from the enemy? Did God really say that you're not supposed to eat from this? Like, like this, is, this is his mastery. This is what he does. He causes us to doubt. Did God really say that? I don't know. Like, that's what he does. He's trying to confuse us and cause us to doubt. Now, I want to say from the outset that I don't believe that doubt in and of itself 
as I'm going to try to define it here, is in and of itself sinful. Like we're all going to go through difficult times. We're going to have things that we go up against, and it's going to make us question, and we're going to wrestle. We're going to look at a psalm here in a minute, and that's one of the things I love about the psalms. The psalms, you see people writing these letters to God, and they're expressing their doubts and their confusion, but most often they come back around to trusting God. So you can go to God with your doubts, but do it in a way that's actually going to move you toward faith and faithfulness rather, toward un- rather than toward unbelief. We'll start in Psalm 77. That's become one of my favorites. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But here, this guy Asaph, he's the, he's the worship leader. So this guy's a prominent worship leader over all of Israel. And here's how he's talking with God about how he's feeling and his doubts. Verse 1, I cried to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out um, with untiring hands, and I would, but I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I, gr- I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. I, you kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about my former days and years of long ago. I remembered the songs and the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has his anger withheld, has he in anger withheld his compassion? Sounds like a guy struggling with some doubts, right? These are the questions that he's wrestling with, and he's, he's not in unbelief. He's coming with his doubts. He's still praying. He's still talking to God about them. He's coming them and presenting them to God. But in this season of doubt, you're going to see what he does next is he goes back to meditating on Scripture. And you'll see what it does in changing what he's thinking about his doubts. Now, it doesn't strictly say that he's memorized things here, but you get the idea from what he says next that he's actually meditating on something else that God has done, something that he's been reading. Going on to the next verses, he says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember the miracles of long ago. I'll consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. You see that? Remember, remember, meditate. You get the idea. He's remembering what God has done. Your ways, God, are holy. What God God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. So again, it doesn't specifically say that he's memorizing, but you get the idea here. What what he's done to change his heart and to overcome his doubts, he's remembering back at what God has done in his life. He's remembering back, looking back at Scripture to see what God has done for Israel, for Jacob and Joseph. And real specifically in the next one, you're going to see it's a little more clear that actually what he's remembering, he's remembering the time that God led them across the Red Sea into the Promised Land, or to escape from Egypt, rather. He's remembering that specific instance, because here's what it says in verse 16. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and writhed, and very, the very depths were convulsed. <clears throat> the clouds poured, out, poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind, lighting up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You see what he's reflecting back on? He's, he's going to God with his doubts, but then he kicks himself back to Exodus, and he reads the story. He reminds himself of, wait, this is the God that I have. This is what he's done. This is how he's delivered us to the past. This miraculous story of leading his people across the Red Sea. 
and he's growing in his faith. And instead of taking his doubts and turning them to unbelief, he's doing about his doubts and what it's turning into is actual greater faith and faithfulness. Why? Because he's meditating on the scripture. He's got them in his heart. You guys have heard me say this many times before, but uh, I believe that there's a psalm for every season. Like, I really believe that. Um, Psalms are awesome. You guys should go memorize part of the psalm. And uh, for me, since a little bit this fall, just to be real honest, I've been a little discouraged. There's been a few things that have happened in my life personally, a few things even within the church that have been discouraging and in in some cases even hurtful, not the proper venue to to go into them uh, from up here. But it's been discouraging. And so since, since Thanksgiving, I've actually been going to the Psalms saying, okay, God, I need a Psalm. I need what's going to be my Psalm for this season. And making my way through it the last few weeks, I've kind of settled on this. Like this is the Psalm for me. In particular, I, I'm considering memorizing all of it, uh, although it looks like it might be kind of hard. <laughs> but I know at least for now, I'm going to really cling to two verses. Verse 14, you are the God who performs miracles. Like I just need to recite that again and again. God is the God who performs miracles. You display your power among all the people. I'm going to cling to God and believe that he can do miracles and not let my heart be discouraged. Or what I really find poetic and beautiful is verse 19. Your path led us through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footsteps were not seen. Like I'm clinging to that right now, personally, just saying, God, I don't know what kind of waters or things we're going through right here, but I'm, I'm trusting that you're in this, that you're present I can't see you. I can't see it. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that I'm going to be able to, on the other side, look back and see how you delivered us, though your footsteps were not seen. Like, this is, this is what it means to memorize the word. It helps us overcome our doubts and our discouragements because we can come to God and say, this is what's true. This is what I'm holding on to. So maybe for you, um, you're struggling uh, with faith that God can provide for you. You might do good to, to memorize, like I said earlier, Matthew 6, 33 and 34, that seek first the kingdom and all his righteousness and, and God's righteousness and everything will be added to you. Or, or it might go bad, that go, go well for you to actually go back and read the Exodus story and, and during that period when God provided manna, they didn't have any bread, but God just provided food for them and you reflect back on a story and say, yeah, I do believe that God can be my provider. Or maybe you're wrestling with the idea that, that God really hears your prayers, and that's why you, where you're doubting right now. And then maybe you should go and, and look in uh, Luke 11, when Jesus says specifically about prayer. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Whoever seeks will find. Whoever asks will be given. Whoever knocks, the door will be opened. And you hold on to it and say, Jesus, you said this is true, so I'm going to hold on to it. Or maybe you actually go back in the Old Testament, you go to, to, uh, I think it's 2 Chronicles 22, and you read the story about Jehoshaphat, where all these armies were coming against the king and their people. And Jehoshaphat couldn't fight him. He didn't know what to do. So he calls a prayer meeting and he gathers everyone together and they pray. And I love this long prayer that he prays. The last line of the prayer is, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then you see how after they make that prayer, God disperses all these nations and they fight each other and, and Israel's delivered just because of answered prayer. And you go back and you meditate on that prayer and you think, yes, God can do this. Or maybe what you're doubting right now is, is you're doubting that God loves you. And then it'd be good for you to go to uh, Romans 8, 31, 32 and say, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but graciously gave him up to us, how will he not also then give us all things? Like Jesus died for you. 
do good to do what we did this last week during Christmas week to, to go back and reflect on the fact that God became a man and came to earth to save you, to meditate on that and then remember that you are loved by God. Like if those are areas that you're doubting, memorizing scripture, going back and meditating on stories of what God's done, it's one of the best ways to knock over that domino of doubt in your life. Now, I could have listed several other reasons, but I really wanted to focus on those two uh, specific ones. But I will say one other thing. That's where you, when you go back and you memorize the past, like one of the things that you do is you remember the past, remember how God's delivered you. Go back to Scripture, see what He's done for others. But another really important thing to do and a really great practice is to actually memorize promises because there's so many promises in Scripture that when you're in a period of doubt that you actually memorize the promise. So if you're memorizing like Romans 8, 28, that, that God will work out all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. So when you're in the midst of the trial, to be able to have that in your heart and believe that God can work all things for the good. Maybe you're struggling with believing that God's going to provide for you, so you go to Philippians 4 and it says, my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And you, you hold on to it because it's a promise. Or you go to Philippians 3, this is one of my favorite, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power that dwells in him, he will renew our body so that it will be like his glorious body. When I'm struggling with, with how sinful I am and wishing that my body would be made new, my heart would be made right, to cling to the promise that my citizenship is in heaven and one day I will be transformed to be like him. Or a personal favorite for me when I'm thinking about eternity, to go to John 14 and, and, and see when Jesus told his disciples, do not, let your, uh, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. My house, and there's many rooms. In my father's house, there's many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I was going there to prepare a place for you. Like in those moments of doubt, to just to go back to that and be like, nope, Jesus said that he's going to prepare a place for me. I'm holding on to that. Like that's the power of memorizing both the past things that God's done, but also memorizing God's promises. I did want to talk about one more thing because I love this when I'm thinking about scripture memory is uh, I kind of want to get practical and give you guys some ideas about how you can actually go about this if this is something that God would put on your heart. And one of the places that I like to go to when I'm thinking about the importance of memorizing scripture is to go back to the book of Deuteronomy, which I said I can hardly spell, but I got it, Deuteronomy. And uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, if, uh, we're going to go there in a minute. Deuteronomy actually means like the second law. And so there's a whole period where they've, they've uh, gone in the wilderness. Remember, they're about to get in the promised land, but but they, they had some people who didn't, didn't believe, and so they had 40 more years of wandering. They finally get to this place where they're about to enter the promised land, and Moses gathers the people, and he gives them the second law. He reads the law again to them, reminding them of how they're to keep God's word when they cross over into the promised land. And I love Deuteronomy chapter 6 because it's so specific about how we actually need to take God's word to heart. This was a, a, a commandment to the Israelites, and I think it is for us as well. Verse 1, Moses is talking to the people. He says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God has directed me to teach you and observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, their children, and, and, and those after them may fear the Lord your God as long as they live and keep all of his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God and ancestors promised you. And in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God 
is, is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. See that? These commands I'm giving you, they're to be on your hearts. In fact, what I want you to do is I want you to impress them on your children. I want you to talk about them when you're at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. I actually want you to tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is such a fundamental scripture to the, to the Jewish believers. This the, the Shema. It was the, the prayers that they would pray in the morning and they were, in the night. They were from this passage. It's got the critical part of saying that there's one God. Like That's something that they held and they believed. It's got, of course, the great commandment, like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And they were told to memorize, to meditate, and to keep these things in their hearts to a degree that they were actually told to do some things about it. So before we leave today, we're all going to write on our foreheads so you can get your, get your pencils out. And we're not going to do that, but you get the idea. Like, this is serious. Like, write them. Talk about them. There's things that you can do to make sure that this stuff stays in your heart, stays in your mind, so that you can overcome your temptations and overcome uh, your doubts. I read this really just to point that from the beginning, God meant for us to memorize Scripture. Moses on the, on the cusp of going into this land, he's saying, hey, you guys need to get this in your heart. And I think that it, it would be good for us to do the same, however you feel like God would lead you to do so. It's kind of a similar, I would call this maybe like a similar version of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3, when it says this, as how the church is supposed to live this out. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. As you teach, admonish one another with all wisdom and psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. You see that? Like this is what Paul says the church should look like, that when we gather together, it's the word of God that's, that's dwelling in us, the gospel, the good news of Christ. It's dwelling in us richly so that we can actually then learn to teach others to do the same. I didn't go into it because I wanted to focus primarily on temptation and the obstacles, uh, the temptation of temptation. The obstacle of temptation and the obstacle of doubt, but another great reason for memorizing Scripture is because you're going to be better able to minister to other people, like the things that you've put into your heart to be on your tip of your tongue so that you can then be, like this says here, letting this word dwell richly among you so you can admonish and teach others and give them wisdom. You can write songs about it and help each other like we're going to do here at the end when we sing these truths over each other. Like that's what it means to meditate on the Scripture. It's meant to dwell for the purpose of us being able to not only be ministered to overcoming temptation, overcoming our doubts, but to be able to minister to each other. Now, to get real practical, um, I first want to address a common objection. Like, you might be sitting there and think, I'm no good at this. I'm I'm bad at it, so I'm just not even going to try. I would say, let's be honest, some people are probably better at it than others. Like, some people have the mind that they're able to memorize things more than others. You know that from your classes that you were in, right? Some people are really good at it. But all of us can do it. And to prove that, I'm going to have to ask for some audience participation here, all right? So I'm going to, start, I'm going to, I'm going to see if you guys actually have a few things memorized already. But everyone has to participate or this is going to go really bad, all right? Mom always said, life is like a box of chocolates, you. All right, Forrest Gump, you got it. Houston, we have a... Good, good, good. Show me the money. You had me at same movie. Good. Um, you want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? 
I want the truth. You? <laughs> All right, good job. Doing good? You stay classy, San Diego. I'm kind of a big deal. I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. Rich mahogany. Good job, guys. What do you think the chances are of a girl like me and a guy like you ending up together? I'd say like one in a million. So you're telling me? Nice. See, if you can memorize Jim Carrey and Top Gun or whatever, the few good men and, and all that, you can actually memorize. But what does it take? Like, I actually get together every Labor Day weekend. I go um, with, with my best group of friends. We always spend Labor Day weekend together. And these guys are insane. They will memorize, like, whole chunks of movies. And I'm just kind of sitting on the sideline because I don't, I don't get it. But they will just quote them and quote them back and forth. And what does it take? It takes a lot of repetition. You've, you've seen Anchorman many times. <laughs> and so you've heard it. Your friends have told those jokes. or you've said those lines. And this is really what Deuteronomy 6 was saying, that what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to talk about these with each other. Speak them over each other. And as you do, you can do this. You can memorize. And I encourage you really, as we go into this next year, to really pray about if this is something that God would have you do. Let me give you just a few real quick pointers um, that will be helpful if you are to do them. We can put these pointers, pointers up here. The first would be to pick verses that you need. Like, sounds like common sense, but don't just pick something random or something that someone else... Like, you're going to be more prone to want to hide it in your heart if you know it's something that, that, that directly hits your temptation or your obstacle of doubt. Whatever it is, like I'm saying with my Psalm 77 right now, this is something I need, so I'm eager to try to put it to my heart. Second thing is start small. Don't, you know, some people might be memorizing a chapter. If you've never done it before, just memorize one verse, two verses. Start small. Third would be to write them down or to use an app. I personally like to write them down. I find that's a lot easier because when you write it, it's kind of just one more kind of cognitive way of learning. You've got something in front of you. Although there are, there are lots of really cool apps right now that actually can help you memorize scripture using different, different uh, learning techniques through the app. Fourth, recite them out loud. Like it, it doesn't work as well if you're just trying to kind of recite them in your head. Like saying them out loud is actually what's going to get them more ingrained. And you need to say them out loud when you're in the midst of those doubts and temptations as well. And then finally, uh, make them visible, like, like carry them with you. So that's got to be something that you, you know, put in your Bible or you put on your mirror or you do something real similar to what God told the people to do in Deuteronomy, like write these down, put them places where you're going to see them. Those are just some real practical tips that could help you should God lead you to take on uh, this healthy habit. Wouldn't be right to end this morning without coming back again to Jesus because we always want to because he's got the good news. We looked at the, the, the very early, we looked at Matthew 4, when Jesus was actually in temptation, and we saw him resist the enemy those three times, but this was not the only time that Jesus did this. Jesus quoted scripture time and time and time again, it was in his heart. And what I find really compelling is that he started his ministry that way, but he ended his life that way. You know what his last words were, right, on the cross? My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Among his last words that he said... You know, he was quoting Psalm 22, and Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm that tells about someone being ostracized and beaten and torn down and mocked. It's got the prophecies about Jesus being hit and his, his clothes being scattered and, and divided up among the soldiers like they were. Think about that for a minute. Jesus had a psalm for his season. I don't think that was random. I think going into what he knew was going to be his death, that he clinged to a psalm. He had a psalm of his season. In his very last breaths, he's quoting 
Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The unique thing about Psalm 22 is it's actually kind of like the Psalm 77. It starts off with this complaint, like, God, where are you? But it moves real quickly into actually trusting, and it's a psalm of deliverance and saying, I know that God will deliver me. In fact, the last verses, some of the last verses in Psalm 22 say this, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families and nations will bow before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Think about that. Jesus knew the end of the psalm. He got out the first part, but he knew the second part was coming, that God would deliver him, and it would provide, like it says here, salvation to all nations. Like in his greatest need, in his time time of temptation, his time of doubt, he clung to a psalm. I'm telling you, it's powerful. Seek God this week about how you can engage in this habit in this coming year. As we take communion, let's remember Psalm 22, that Jesus, in his moment of death, was clinging to a psalm too, crying out that God had forsaken him because that's what happened on the cross, that all of our sins and the sins of the whole world were put upon him, and he was forsaken by God. But then he rose from the dead and gave us the power to have eternal life and to secure this promise in Psalm 22 that the gospel could go to all nations, even among us who believe practice open communion here at Midtown, so if, you're, uh, put your faith, if you put your faith in Christ and you believe what you're taking, we invite you to do so during these last set of songs. You can come to the front or to the back. As you take them, let's think of Jesus in Psalm 22. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would uh, show us um, in this coming season what habits we can take on how important just little things are in helping knock over big obstacles in our lives. We pray that we would cherish your word and want to put it into our heart that we can overcome our temptations and our doubts. Finally, we thank you that you are the word. You're the one that we need. We we take you in and we we believe that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by, by your word. And we live by you. Pray that we would really connect with you as we worship here, even as we sing of past scriptures and things that you've done and call in faith for you to do it again. We want, we want to remember what you've done and ask that you would do it again, whatever it is that we're, that we're needing by way of deliverance from you. Ask Lord in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.